we come and give you our worship this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes to see and behold the call you have on each of our lives. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand and receive more fully your heart for us and for this world. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. This morning, come shake us up. We need that. (laughs) Didn't walk in here thinking we did, but Lord, I believe you want to shake us up this morning and open our eyes to further see and live into the glorious call that you have for us as your people. We bless you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the greatest challenges that I think that we face in our Western culture as Christians is this, is that we tend to individualize our Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. We often think that our Christianity is all about having a personal salvation and then now trying to live a holy life. Often we say, my relationship with Christ. And there are other things that we add on to that 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 often makes it about, it's my relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Well, there's an element that there's truth in that. It is about our relationship with God and what Jesus has come is, is he's opened our eyes to the grace that he lavishes on us. But friends, I want to tell you, it is so much more. And we miss, I believe, the greater call of our lives to follow Jesus, if we think of it just in terms of my own relationship with God. You see, when we individualize Christianity, we miss the greater calling to bring glory to God, to live for the sake of others, and to actually see that we're here to bring the very heart of God to the people around us. As we look at Psalm 72, we're going to look at two specific sections this morning. As we look at Psalm 72, and I would say, as we do this with any passage of Scripture, we need to come asking questions. Some questions include these. What does this passage show us about who God is? You read the passage. What does it show us about who God is? What does it show us about the heart of God And then I would say even whittle it down even more. What does it show us about what God really cares about? Think about what that would do as you read various passages in the Scriptures to come with those questions to begin to have a clearer understanding of who God is and what He's calling us to. You see, God has redeemed us. He's made us His sons and daughters, not just for our own salvation, but that our hearts would be so transformed around His heart that we would actually care about what he cares about, that our hearts would beat for what his heart beats for. That's what we're going to be looking at in Psalm 72 this morning. Psalm 72 is known as a royal psalm. It's one of the few psalms written by King Solomon. And in this psalm, King Solomon is making a petition that his reign, as well as the reign from his father, who was David the king, and all the kings through him, that their reign would be done in such a way that the people around them in their kingdom would prosper. Think about it. When a king upholds and lives for justice, the poor, the needy, the weak, those who cannot defend themselves, those who are vulnerable in society, those the world seems to cast out and devalue, when a king rules with justice, their lives prosper Not only do their lives prosper, but they find that they've got an advocate who comes alongside them. A king is also to rule with justice who avenges those who do wrong against those in need. 
right? That's what the kings of Israel and Judah were supposed to do. But if you read in the Old Testament about how the kings actually ruled, you'll see a quite different narrative. Most of the kings in the Old Testament ruled for their own well-being instead of the well-being for those to whom God entrusted to them. So as Solomon is praying that his reign would be a righteous reign like that, it's also a messianic psalm pointing to Jesus, our ultimate king, whose life and rules embodies all of this in its fullness. I want you to think about this. Jesus came not just to give you a personal and secure salvation. He did do that for sure, but it's so much more. You see, Jesus came into this world bringing the kingdom of God among us, bringing a new kingdom into a world that has been broken and fractured by sin and distorted in every way. See, the kingdom of God is about restoration. The kingdom of God is about reconciliation. The kingdom of God is about renewal. Those things that don't work as they ought to, because the king has come, they're going to begin to operate as they were intended to. You see, Jesus came to set captives free. He came to care for the poor. He came to care for the needy. He came to care for the one who has no helper. In other words, Jesus came revealing in flesh the very heart of his Father for humanity. What I want to do is look at two points this morning from Psalm 72. The first is this. What do we learn about the heart of God in Psalm 72? What do we learn about the heart of God here? Secondly, what does it show us about how we are then to reflect God's heart in the city in which we live? First, what do we learn about the heart of God in Psalm 72? Listen to verses 2 through 4 and 12 through 14. You'll get a glimpse. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. What did you hear? In those passages about the heart of God, what would you sum up that saying? I think we'd sum it up in this way. He cares about life. God cares about life. God cares about every life, not just certain lives. He cares about every life. And one of the things that we see here is this. One of the key values of the kingdom of God is he's a king of justice. He's a king who is for the poor, the needy, the downtrodden, those who are cast aside, those who are disadvantaged. We see it not just in Psalm 72. We see it throughout the Scriptures. It's all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. There's a great chapter in Isaiah chapter 58 when the people of God are crying out to God and they've been fasting And what we see in this passage, I'm going to read part of it in a minute, not only do we get a greater glimpse into the heart of God, but we also get a glimpse, now this is what we don't like to see sometimes, into our own hearts. This is revealed here in Isaiah 58. So here's what's happening. The people had been fasting, okay? But they they didn't get God's response like they thought. We're doing this and God should respond this way. 
Here's what we read in Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 4. The people said, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God answers with these words, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. What were they doing? The Israelites were all about religious practices, right? They were, out, they were all about their hearts being seen by others as opposed to conforming to the heart of God. You see, they wanted to be outwardly seen but not inwardly transformed. And I wonder if that's us sometimes. We want in our religious practices, we look great on a Sunday morning, we come in, everything is good. We want others to see a certain persona about us, right? But I wonder if we're having our hearts inwardly transformed by the heart of God. That's what the Lord, friends, wants to do with us. So here's the passage in Isaiah 58, and God then answers with greater clarity of what he's all about, beginning in verse 6. God says this to them, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then, you shall, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. <laughs> right? Do you see that? God is saying, you want to do this, but let me tell you what I'm about. Your fasting ought to get you on your knees to have your heart conformed around mine so that you will care about what I care about. You will see who I see, and you will do things about it. Then, he says, then you will hear from me. Is it not what we heard Jesus say, in a sense, in the passage in Matthew 25, the gospel reading uh, that Tony just read a moment ago? In this passage, I'm not going to read all of it, but Jesus says to the people, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And he goes on and on. And they said, When did we do these for you? And what did Jesus say? What you did for the least of these, you've done for me. The heart of God bringing his kingdom in to care about what God cares about in our communities today. Friends, listen. If you say that you follow Jesus, but you don't care what he cares about, if you say you follow Jesus, but your heart is not moved to what moves his heart, then I think you need to step back and ask, do I really understand what it means to follow Jesus? Now, that's a bold statement I just made, and it may offend some. But friends, I think that what God is longing and calling us to in this passage and in the Scriptures is that our hearts would be so transformed that we would bring the very heart of God into this world. Jesus brought the kingdom of God, and we are His instruments through which He moves in this world, that the broken things of this world would be made new by the way in which you and I live in this world today. Do you see that? It's that we would have a heart for what He has a heart for, and that as we do, things are turned around. I want you to think about this. 
What if our lives really did look, look more like the heart of God? What do you think that would do for the city of Little Rock? What do you think that would do for the community where you live if your life, if your heart really looked more and more like the heart of God? That's what I want to look at next. What does it look like then for us to bring the heart of God into this city right where we live, work, and play? Listen to verses 6 and 7. I love this imagery that Solomon brings. He writes, May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Can you imagine a community? Think about that. What does rain do? We've had a lot of it this week. What does rain do on grass and for the flowers and the plants? They flourish, they grow, they thrive, they come alive, right? Could you imagine a community, a city, where righteousness flourished, where justice was really practiced? Could you imagine that? Friends, I think we need to. I think we need to go beyond our little world of self right here and begin to say, God, break me out of this box so that I can imagine things that aren't so much a reality now. But I can imagine your kingdom breaking in in Little Rock, Arkansas in greater ways than we have ever seen. Friends, that's what our lives are to be about, isn't it? And the various vocations and things that you've been called to do, we all have a part that you and I, that we can play in this glorious calling. So let me ask you this question. What shift needs to take place in your life for you to begin to really see? Is there a shift that needs to take place in your life for you to begin to see, for you to begin to hear the poor around us, the afflicted, the needy in our community? You know, I'll say this. On the surface, it's probably hard for a lot of us in this room to identify with people in that category because many of us don't really have a picture or a paradigm of what life is like in a place like that. But friends, we need to remember then first and foremost, that we are all born into this world spiritually poor. We are all born into this world bankrupt. We are all born into this world under an oppression of an enemy who does not want to let us go and wants to chain us down. We're born alienated. And I think we can forget all too easily where we've really come from. We might not identify with someone who is physically poor and outcast and so forth. But friends, we all know spiritually we need to remember what that's like so that we can then take the very presence of Jesus into the community. Because Jesus came for the spiritually poor. He came for the physically poor. He came for all people to restore and to redeem and to renew. Friends, because of what he's done for us, our calling now is to people who go into this world bringing the justice of a new kingdom in the midst of a kingdom that is fractured and broken, a new kingdom that will restore and give a taste of something glorious ahead. So I want to get practical for a minute. What does it look like then, tangibly? Because it's easy to talk way up here, right? And to go, okay, that all sounds good and right, but, but how does this really get real among us? Let me give you a definition of what justice is. This is from an Old Testament professor, Bruce Waltke. He defines justice in this way, and it gives us then insight into what that might look like for my own life, right? He says this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community, and the wicked are willing to disadvantage community 
to advantage themselves. Let me read that again. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, right? But the wicked, the selfish one, they're the ones who are going to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. They're going to take advantage of anything, right? To, To get what I want, right? So here's some questions I want you to think about. Are you treating people in your sphere of influence with justice? In light of that definition, are you treating people in your sphere of influence with justice? If you employ or manage people, do you seek their well-being or are you using them for your own well-being? Challenging questions. Are there ways in which you're taking advantage of those who are powerless in our community today? Some questions to ask yourself some more. In what ways am I using what God has entrusted to me to be a blessing to those in need to see their flourishing? Think about what God has entrusted to you. How are you using those resources that you will be a blessing where others actually flourish who weren't beforehand? Where does my life need to get disrupted so that I can live more fully as an instrument of God's justice in Little Rock? That's a challenging one. I don't like my life disrupted, and I gather you probably don't either, but friends, can I tell you what? For the kingdom of God, we need to be disruptive, to see our calling, to come more alive, to bring life to this community. When I think about what that could be like, it's amazing what, you, what, what I think could happen in this community if we at St. Andrews lived more fully in light of the heart of God coming to those around us. Now, what if, now go with me on this, what if you saw your greater calling, again, regardless of what you do vocationally or whether you're home or a student or whatever that might be, what if you saw your greater calling was to live for the flourishing of others? Could you imagine what that might look like? (laughs) Could you imagine what that might look like in our community if we really lived this out? Friends, the only way we can live it out first is if we ask God to give us his heart. Say, God, give me your heart because on my own, I'm not going to do that. I know I'm too selfish. I don't know about you. (laughs) But I need to say, God, give me your heart and open my eyes to see what you have out there, to see your kingdom come in greater ways. Friends, what do you think it would look like to come alongside those in the community around St. Andrews? You know, St. Andrews is in this location strategically. They looked all over for places where God would call St. Andrews to have a home in the city. And we're here purposefully that we could have a community around us that we could reach out to, to love, to care for, and serve, that they themselves would flourish. Think about this. Many of you have heard us talk about Immerse Arkansas. It's a ministry partner of St. Andrews here in Little Rock. What do you think that could look like for those youth who have aged out of foster care, many of whom are on the streets, many of whom have been in and out of foster care, who have no parents with them? What could it look like if we as a body came alongside in various ways using different gifts to see the flourishing of these kids, to see these kids have a hope and a future? Friends, it's little by little. It's one little thing at a time that begins to turn a community to look different or Western Hills Elementary School. You're going to hear Mary Carroll give a, a blurb about that, or, or somebody's going to give a blurb about Western Hills in a minute, about an opportunity for us to serve. But Western Hills is an elementary school in our community here. 
What would it look like for us to give ourselves away to those teachers, to love and serve them, to build up those kids? What could it look like for us to love and serve those families, the kids and their parents and grandparents in the community, to come and come alongside them where their various needs? Friends, I look around and I see some in this room right now who, who are stepping into that. And, and again, it doesn't mean that, that everything has to change, but it's the step here and it's a step there. And all those things are about bringing God's kingdom in greater ways into this world where those who are in need begin to flourish. So let me ask you this question before I move on. What has to change? What if you were to ask yourself this question? What has to change in my life so that I can live for the flourishing of others? Ask God that question if you want. Because if you do, he's going to answer you if you're serious. But be ready because you're going to find joy an opportunity in the kingdom of God coming among us in greater ways when we begin to give ourselves to the flourishing of those around us and the needs of this city. I want to wrap this up by giving you a short story. Telling you a story I heard a couple of years ago about a man named Don Flo. He lives in North Carolina and he owns car dealerships. Many years ago, he took over the dealerships from his father. And when he did, he began to ask these questions how do my work, he said this, how do I do my work in a distinctively Christian way? What Christian values will define what we're going to be about in this company? And here's what he said. We're to never advantage ourselves to the disadvantage of another. Our organization must be giving, must be life-giving to our employees and the community. And he looked at some research. He's a car salesman, right? And he looked at research, and the research showed that white males typically were the most aggressive negotiators. So when they were buying cars, they were the ones who were the most aggressive negotiators. They would get the best price, right? But then those who weren't as aggressive of negotiators, they'd pay more for the car. Well, Don Flo said, we're not going to do business that way. Because there's some people who aren't able to do this, and some people are, you know, in the, and he said, we're going to have a flat thing here, where it doesn't matter if you've got great negotiating skills or not, we are going to give and help people pay cars fairly. We are not going to overcharge for a car. Go figure in the car business. We've all bought cars, right? That's kind of unheard of, isn't it? He noted this, that the dominant point of most businesses is profit maximization, if it's legal to do within the boundaries of the marketplace, then we're free to do it. And he said, that's how most businesses in America operate. But here's what he said. We want to start from a different point of view, that everything we do has to be done for the well-being of our customers and the well-being of the members of our organization and the well-being of our community. What if that was what you began to think about? Now, again, most of us don't own businesses here, right? But just put that principle in your life. What if you were to live for the well-being of those around you? What if you were to live your life in various ways for the well-being of the larger community, seeing the needs around us? What do you think could happen to a community if we live that way? Well, he goes on, and he's talking about profit here, and he gives this wonderful analogy. He, he says, profit to a company is like blood to human beings. No one gets up and says, I live for my blood, but you can't live without blood. He said, in our case, though, our purpose is not defined by our profit, although we must be profitable. 
Listen to the statement that's on their website. It's pretty profound, and I can only imagine what this could really be like if we actually lived this out. Here's what it says. Our goal at Flow Companies is to be a creator of societal value by contributing to the common good of our communities. We want our presence to make a positive difference in our communities, not just by the distinctive products and services we provide, but because of the way we engage the community and invest in its future. We want to be known as a company that's committed to the well-being of our communities. We want to be the kind of company that if we did not exist, a community would want us to exist because the contribution we have made to the common good. I love that. Because what are they saying? They're saying what, what we're seeing in Psalm 72. They're saying what Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 25. They're seeing what Jesus is saying in, in Isaiah 58, right? That if we live our lives caring for the needs of those around us, people are going to flourish. We are going to flourish. Communities will flourish. Friends, we will get a taste of what the kingdom of God is really like. Read sometime tonight or tomorrow Revelation chapter 21, and you'll get a picture of where we're headed. In Revelation 21, we read that all that is broken in this world will one day be made new, right? In the new heaven and the new earth, all that is wrong, all the injustices, all that will one day be made new when Jesus returns. But friends, here's the challenge. We're not to wait until then to get a foretaste of that renewal looks like. Our calling as followers of Jesus, our calling as people who, who were poor, who were destitute in our sin, and Jesus came and redeemed us. We didn't deserve it, but he did this so we would come alive. We would come alive to know his grace and to be his ambassadors in this world in Little Rock, Arkansas, in whatever town or community you live in, that we would bring a foretaste of what we see in Revelation 25, that that which is old would be made new. Amen? Friends, that's the calling. That's why we have got to get out of our individualized Western Christianity, right, and enter into this glorious kingdom of God, this calling. He's given all of us to play to see that his kingdom comes and those in his kingdom would flourish by his grace. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for these words. These are challenging words. These are challenging words for all of us in this room, I would gather. But would you come and show us? Would you come and give us a vision of your kingdom, Jesus, breaking into this world in greater ways? And help us see, Father, that it's not just about a one-off, I'm going to do this good thing or do that good thing. But what I long for us here at St. Andrews is that our hearts would be molded around your heart. Father, that you would give us your heart so that as we live in this community, we would show forth your heart to this world that many, many people would be drawn to your saving grace and come alive. So Jesus, thank you for showing us and giving us a glorious foretaste of your kingdom. Bring it, I pray, in greater ways. In your name we pray, amen. Please stand.